podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. I'm Simon Hughes and the county season is now underway and thankfully there's hardly been any rain. Surrey are the early leaders in the first division and Hampshire are up there too. And of course we did tip Hampshire as being uh, outsiders for the championship. At least Rob Key did on one of these earlier programmes. More surprisingly, I think, is the success of Northants in the second division. The first two games they've won and their level on points at the top of the second division with knots. And what I think is great about that is they've only got a small squad, North Ants. They've hardly got any money. They've talked about in the past having to count the tea bags almost because they really are so short of, of Dosh. But also, they haven't put as much emphasis on fitness as perhaps other counties have. They've got a couple of quite chunky players. And so I'd like to, to discuss today what the value of fitness is and whether it's overemphasised in the modern game. I'm Simon Mann, and related to that, we've had some questions from you about the resting of England players. The resting of England players in April, at the start of the season. And we've got a response from Andrew Strauss about that. So please leave a review of this podcast on iTunes. You can subscribe to The Analyst Inside Cricket, so you'll get the programme automatically each week. Just please click on the button where it says subscribe. And we'll be releasing a podcast every Monday night throughout the summer for you to download. So Northants, then... Doing it a slightly different way. I quite like it, you know. We should uh, perhaps pay a bit of tribute to Shield Berry, the, the Daily Telegraph cricket correspondent, for doing an interview with David Ripley, the head coach at North Ants, last week, and drawing attention to the fact that North Ants are, to use Ripley's words, some of them are chubsters. And uh, what he meant by that, really, is they're quite burly, they're quite chunky players who aren't perhaps the slimmest, but they are good in terms of their of their talent and their and their skills. Well, Richard Levy winning the championship match against Derbyshire today, ninety nine yeah. in, in no time. He's he is fairly hefty. Isn't he, he's the Mike Gatting of of the modern game. In fact, probably even bigger than than Gat would would have been. And uh, and also they've got Rory Kleinveld as well, who is thirty four years old, formerly from South Africa, has been very much the linchpin of, of North Ants cricket for the last couple of years, both with bat and ball. And he's a bit roly poly looking, but you know, he's clearly very talented, he's very passionate, and he's fit enough to do his job. And I suppose I, I just sometimes watch youngsters especially training and when I say youngsters I'm talking 14 15 16 year olds maybe up to even 18 and I see them training for their county academies and I sometimes wonder whether there is too much emphasis put on just training and fitness and not is quite enough on the skills of the game you know I've watched my daughter training with with Middlesex women and there are some really good coaches knocking around helping them but they seem to spend as much time pushing something called the prowler up and down the net you've got to explain that it's it's a big piece of metal on rather grindy wheels which is just a big lump of metal they have to push up and down the nets. A bit like pushing a bobsleigh or something without any slides underneath it. And it's the, the idea is it's to train their bodies, to, to get their core muscles stronger, to get their thighs and, and legs stronger. And I know they, they do a lot of that um, in, in the county game. In fact, I've seen Warwickshire training uh, pre-season and using those big ropes to, to whirl them around and, um, you know, tyres, rolling tyres up and down the, the indoor nets and picking up massive weights and things like that. Well, I just wonder whether there's a bit too much of that sometimes and not enough of, 
of, of actual practising skills. And what, what do you think? Well, 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 I'll come on to that in a moment. But one thing North Hands do is that they, they talk about the game as well. They, they invite the team, the opposition, into their dressing room. Was it every, every two days, is it? I think it's on the second day of every home game they make the effort to invite the opposition into the bar to... You know, to relive the game and, and chat about life generally, and I think that's something that we've definitely lost from the game because of the fitness emphasis. You know, drinking is is slightly dissuaded, and also, you know, players turn up in tracksuits now. They don't turn up in civvies to go to the pub afterwards or the bar. They turn up in their tracksuit. They go straight into training. You know, they, they play the game and then they go home in their tracksuit after the game without sort of engaging with either their teammates or the opposition. I mean. I'm making generalisation here, but I think it's a trend. So, so what do you learn from talking about the game? I think masses. I think you can. You can. I mean, I grew up. Um, obviously, we, you know, we're a bit old school. Well, certainly I am. I, I grew up in club cricket, playing for Ealing, and we'd stay after the game till ten thirty at night. And as a 16, 17, 18 year old, you just learn so much from these older players, reliving the game you just played, pointing out the mistakes you'd made kind of scenario setting, if you like, the, 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 what would you do in that situation another time? And I suppose just kind of talking about the approach, the mental and physical approach to the game in lots of different ways from lots of different people, it's an exchange of information. It's almost like a little brainstorm, mm. which is in a very relaxed environment. You know, you're staring aggressively down the pitch at an opposition player during the game, but afterwards you can really engage with them and they can talk about what they thought you were thinking and what they were thinking. And I think it's just a very massive learning curve. Well, just on the fitness, I mean, you asked me the question, what do I think about it? Well, I mean, my response is, well, Virat Kohli. Have a look at Virat Kohli, who felt he wasn't succeeding enough in the game. He's obviously a good player and he was, he was making progress, but he decided that he needed to be as fit as it's... It's almost humanly possible to be as fit as it's possible for a, a cricketer to be, and, that, and that's what he did. He dedicated himself to, to getting fit. I, mean, I, I get the impression he, he trains nearly every day or, or most days. I think that's right. And as a result of that, he's he, you know he's turned himself into a well a magnificent player. I mean, part of that might be psychological. You know, the, if you if you if you feel you need to be fit and you get fit, then that that can help your game. Uh, the other side of it, of course, is that if you're playing a long innings or if you're playing a really intense innings in a 2020 match or a one-day international, that extra bit of fitness can keep you going into the 18th, 19th, 20th over. When you're up and down, up and down, running those ones and twos and threes in a 50-over match, you know, taking you deep into the 48th, 49th over, it can be, you know, it can be the difference between winning and losing. No, definitely. And uh, you know, I've watched players like Joe Root prepare for a T20, for instance, by hitting a few balls in the nets and then running three twos in a row and then hitting a few more balls and then running another three twos so there's no doubt that you know fitness is important but I suppose I'd like to see fitness that is sort of fitted to the skills you're using so in actual fact I went training once a a while ago a few years ago now with Andrew Flintoff and I went on a training run with him through the fells actually of Lancashire and what he did there which was really good was interval training so he'd run for three minutes then walk or jog and then run again for three minutes Uh, so it was sort of simulating what it's like to have a bowling spell and Joe Root with his three twos in a t20 preparation is simulating what it might be like to bat in a in that situation it's kind of the gym work I suppose which I sometimes don't think is that 
Like lifting weights? Ideal. And... I mean, it, it, I know you have to do some, and I know it's important for, for bowlers in particular to be strong and sort of injury prevention is, is, is a key thing. But sometimes I think the emphasis on just building up your body isn't necessarily really relevant to the job they're doing. How fit were you when you played? How fit were the players around you? I mean, someone like Ian Botham, for example, there was a time when he was playing professional football for Scunthorpe, so he had to be fit. You can't play professional football without being really fit. Um, but that, you know, there were times towards the end of his career when he he was you know in this, he, he was almost like a North Ants player, if you like. He was relying on his his skills, wasn't he, and and, and his knowledge of the game. And he got away with it because his skills were so immense. I'm sure that he, he, you, Beefy would never admit this, but in actual fact, if he if he had done a bit more fitness work, he might have had an even more successful career. And I'm sure Mike Gatting might have done too. But but in a way, you know, Mike Gatting spent a lot of time, and everyone laughs about his eating and you know how he was a bit rotund. But actually, he was fit enough for his job of batting. And he bowled quite a few overs. He bowled more than his fair share of overs in the nets. And he was a good squash player. He played squash whenever there was a rain break. So he did do a fair bit of fitness, but he mostly focused on the drills involving batting and bowling. And that's, I think, the the key to it. I mean, both of them, of course, had a a lovely attitude to fitness. I I remember... um, Graham Gooch telling the story about a West Indies tour in the in the early 1980s, and of course Beefy was captain at the time in the West Indies uh, series in which they lost four or five nil against that amazing West Indies side of the 1980s. And after the second of the de- defeats, both of them had called a team meeting, and he said, "Right, you know what we're we going to do? We've got to try and sort this out. You know, the first thing is, Gucci, I've seen you going for early morning runs along the beach." And uh, Gucci said, well, yeah, Skip, I, I need to go for early morning runs along the beach to get myself mentally prepared for the day. It's tough work batting against those guys, uh, Garner, Marshall, Holding, etc., Roberts. You know, I need to get my feet moving. So I go and have a, a little bit of a jog along the beach in the morning to, to get myself mentally and physically prepared for the day. So, so both of them said, yes, but I've noticed that you fall asleep in the bar in the evening. <laughs> so... Early morning cardinal runs, sin. cardinal sins. Early morning runs are banned, yeah. and Gooch is oh, I can't I have to skip. I need to, you know. So that was Botham's approach to it, and it didn't work too well, clearly, because they lost the rest of the series. But you know, I, I admired the way that that Botham trusted in his own skills and and his level of fitness. In a way, that was then. Obviously, now it's a different. Level of How fitness. How would he be treated now? Then do you think? Well, I, I mean, he would have to pass the caliper tests and you know the the bleep test. They do something called the yo-yo test now, which is like the bleep test, only a bit more sophisticated. In running between two markers and having to keep a, a, a pace going, and, and then the time that you're allowed to rest between the two sprints is reduced. So you have to you know keep going for twenty thirty minutes these kind of shuttle runs and everybody has to get a certain level and I know, what happens if they don't i know I mean, in the in the women's game in the yeah. england women they have to reach a certain level something like 16 in the yo-yo test otherwise they're not even considered well that was one thing mark robinson said wasn't it when he became england coach i mean he said they're not fit enough yeah and i think that that's very much true the west indies players at the moment actually the certainly the massive difference between England against the West Indies in that ODI series, there was a real difference in levels of fitness between England and the West Indies, and England, for once, way ahead. But 
But I, you know, so I where's, just, the, where's the balance? It's a there? very hard one to strike. But I like just, Graham Gooch, he needed to he needed to run, didn't he? He needed I don't know, whatever it was. There was something about his personality which it, 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 it helped his batting. If he if he was confident I mean, in his obviously fitness, you have to obviously you have to uh, listen to different people's attitudes to it. But I think that overall, learning about the game by talking about it after play is likely to be more beneficial than just being able to do an extra stage of the yo-yo test. Andrew Strauss will probably disagree because he was a big one for getting fit and and he was very much the person who changed his career by getting fit and becoming a test player from being only a sort of average county player. He became a top-class test player by partly by his attitude to fitness. But it was interesting also talking to a, a player from that older generation, Alan Lamb, and I, I picked on him because partly of North Ant's excellent start to the season and also because he knows the North Ant's guys pretty well and also because he was told once in a Ashes tour to go for a run after a game under the Graham Gooch regime and he got an injury as a result of going for that run. So I thought it would just be interesting to see what his perspective of the North Ant's attitude to the game is now and so we'll just have a quick listen to him. North Ants have got a thing where they, they can't rest any of the players. and um, I think there's, there's, there's being bowling fit and being sort of match fit. And I think what you've got to be is bowling fit. If you bowl overs and you bowl enough overs and you do your stretches, then I think you're fine. So you, you quite like the, the, the North Ants approach where you know their coach has described some of the players as in a nice way as chubsters. And he, he doesn't mind that, you know, as long as they deliver on the field. He doesn't mind what shape they are. <laughs> Listen, they, they've been trying to get these guys to lose weight for a while. And I even said to him, you know, uh, you know to claim something, you've got it, you're going to break down. You know, of course they're going to break down. If they're bowling every day and, and they're playing every match, you know, of course they're going to get a niggle or something like that. But... Listen, I think what Rips has done with them, he, he's got them thinking of the right. They want to bowl. It's not a, a thing that they know that they have to bowl and then they've got a day's rest or something like that. There's no rest night for them. These guys have got to play all the time. So he, they're basically getting matched fit by playing. Well, that's Alan Lamb. I wonder how someone like Lamb and Botham and, and Gooch would fit into the, the current England regime. Because Trevor Bayliss basically gives players their heads, doesn't he? I, I, players now are encouraged to look after their own game. But are, are they encouraged to look after their own fitness? Or is that really you know, monitored really closely? If you did step out of line, then that would be a, a black mark against you. It's monitored very closely by Phil Scott, the England trainer. They have various benchmarks they have to attain and maintain you quite often see actually um when there's rain at a england game and clearly there's going to be no play for a couple of hours or maybe a, a half a day you see them heading off to the gym i remember this happened at headingley last year you see several of them heading off to the gym and they are going to have their fitness test then so phil scott will get his kit out his calipers and his his, his stopwatch and and train them to do their shuttle runs and so on and, and measure their heart rates and all that. So it's very, very carefully measured and, and they're given programmes that they have to attend to and, 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 and keep to in the off-season or whenever they're not playing. So does that count against you in selection if, if it's nip and tuck between you and another player? It probably, it probably does. I, I mean, I don't know because I'm not party to the selections, but I think that 
you look at look at someone like Samit Patel, quite a talented cricketer, was never really able to quite attain those fitness levels, so he dropped out of contention. Hmm. Now, of course, players you know are not playing as well that's that's one other way of looking after them several England players not involved in the latest round of championship matches there's Joe Root there's uh, Johnny Bairstow Stuart Broad who has had that sort of strange situation where he was allowed to play against uh, the university but he and played the first championship match but he was not allowed to play against Durham we should pick up here actually on uh, one or two Twitter respondents who've tweeted some questions one of them is SP Cooper, and he says, what is the logic behind England resting some players, batsmen, Bearstone Root, but not others who bowl, like Broad and Anderson? And Billy Tweddle also says, on the question of England resting players, why was Broad allowed to play mm. for knots against Cambridge, but not versus Durham? It seems odd. Well, I thought I'd get the definitive answer on this yeah. from the man himself, Andrew Strauss, who uh, obviously has the ultimate say on England players and whether they're rested or whether they're, they're not. And, and he says here, uh, he's replied to my text saying, Root and Bearstow only finished in the West Indies on March the 10th. It's important that they have a decent break before a crazy schedule this summer. Broad and Anderson have had plenty of time off, but a scheduling quirk means that they could be available for 10 championship games along with seven tests that is too much cricket prior to the ashes and so we are managing them down to around 13 games each I mean, it doesn't totally answer the the question why he was allowed to play against Cambridge University <clears throat> then not in not but I think the second championship probably match. to stagger the, their performances so they play a four-day game and then rest from the next one I think that you know especially these bowlers when they're coming to 30 plus they do need to stagger their their play, and I, I, maybe with Broad, it was a question of bowling against Cambridge wouldn't be very taxing, but was probably better than Nets. But not playing against Durham, which would be a very severe test of everything, you know, more of an examination of your fitness and and your ability against Cambridge University, you can sort of coast, which perhaps is all he needs at this time of year. The best has only played three cricket matches. This year. It's a difficult one, that, isn't it? Because Bairstow's played three one-dayers in India and nothing much else. And you would say, and Andrew Gale, the Yorkshire coach, has complained to the ECB about Bairstow's lack of availability. And, of course, he, he took the opportunity to go to the Masters to, to Augusta while Yorkshire are playing. But the fact is, he was there. All the time. I mean, I saw him in the West Indies, and he didn't play in those three one-dayers, but he was there all the time, training. And... He's still at work, aren't you? That's the yeah, point, isn't it? Yeah. You're, you're not switching off, you're not relaxing, you're not going to the Masters, you're, you're there at work, you're in the hotels, you're in the nets, you're doing your training, you're part of the whole setup. you're part of the discipline of the setup. so you're not switching off. So even though you're not playing every game, you also have to prepare as if you might play as well, because you can't, you, you know, who knows who's going to get sick or injured on the you know, eve of a match or whatever. I, I do think that the idea of time off is important. I understand it. I, I personally always wanted to play, you know, in the 1980s, and we got used to 30 days in 31, believe it or not. Yeah. In August of about 1987, I think we played 30 days in 31, and it was all the travelling involved as well between up and down the country, you know, bank holiday Friday, driving from Scarborough to Hove, things like that, crazy. Yeah, that was... That was that. 
absolutely but, ludicrous. But, but, that how, much absolutely... You, how much did you play outside of the, the regular English season, though? Would you be playing you know, months on end abroad well, and then well, straight yeah. into the English you, season? Well, well, you'd be playing in the winter, but you'd only be playing sort of at weekends. Yeah. So that was perfect, really. You could have a couple of nets in the week, play on a Saturday, maybe sometimes on a Sunday in the winter, but not much else. And that that was great preparation for, for the summer. But if you're playing as much as these guys are, the Bear says the Roots, they're at a cricket ground probably, in Roots' case, 320 days out of 360. So you really do need some time at home, just away from the game, not thinking about it. And it's a mental thing, isn't it? As much as it is physical, it's the, the mental discipline of always being on show and having to do the various drills that you're expected to do and your your mind as much as your body needs a break from that i think one thing that cricket supporters and probably yorkshire supporters found difficult to take was the fact that because if besto had won an ipl contract he would have been allowed to play you know he would be playing now every other every three days and i think that's a very good point and i i think that uh, that you know the thinking there would be that he could gain a huge amount of knowledge and help in his, on his game by playing in the IPL. IPL is now regarded as, I think, still the, the the sort of top T20 tournament because of the standard of players and coaches. And it's a real brainstorm as far as learning about the game is concerned. You can just see players, when they come back from the IPL, they're bursting with ideas and enthusiasm and clearly their ability is enhanced in various ways. And so I think they saw that as an opportunity for Bairstow to learn about his one-day game. He's still playing in the, he's playing in the one-day side some of the time, but not first choice. But I think they see the potential for him to be first choice at some point. And they saw the, the opportunity for him to learn loads in the IPL. But instead of that, perhaps giving him the time off from a championship game with, as Strauss says, a big schedule coming up. Yeah, well, he, he, there will be an intense programme ahead for Johnny Best. I think the other thing as well that <coughs> cricket sports find hard to adjust to, you know, if you're, if you're supporting your county, is that, that they are not... Strictly speaking, Yorkshire players or Nottinghamshire players anymore. They are England players. They're under contract to England. England is their their, their source of income. England England pay them, and they're, they're almost you know like the nineteenth team. And they're sort of on loan to the exactly. County, they're loaned back to the counties. Although the counties have produced them, I and mean, that's whatever you think about that. I and mean, that that is the truth. And so it's, it's probably wrong to think of them as as being Yorkshire players who play for England. They are England players who are sometimes <coughs> allowed to play for Yorkshire or Nottinghamshire in, in Broad's case. The Central Contracts has done that, and I remember just before the Central Contracts came in, players like Ashley Giles talked about uh, playing for England and keeping an eye on teletext, at the, uh, as it was then, or CFAX, on the screens in the in the England dressing room to see how their counties were doing, I Warwickshire were doing, and being more interested in a way, and more attached to their county teams than they were to England. And that has been flipped completely since the central contracts where they are now regarding England as their main team and their counties as their peripheral side. And that whole trend of of looking at 
you know, now it'll be social media or, you know, the ECB app or something to see how their counters are doing. And I'm sure they still do it, but not as much as they would have done in the past. And it's created a better England team spirit as a result because it was so much the case in the pre-99 days when there was no central contracts that players were were much more kind of belonging to their counties and it was much harder to generate a, a team spirit in the England side and they performed poorly as a result. So rest is is an important part of fitness. I, mean, I do rail it sometimes when people say, well, they get paid an enormous amount of money. Uh, yeah, they should be able to play day in, day out. You cannot pay a body enough to to, to be recharged and, be, and to be fit. No, you just can't what? do it. I know, and I think you know. However much you earn, it doesn't mean to say you're going to be you're going to be fitter. You know, when we when we sort of follow England around, let's say in the summer, we go to these test matches and we go to these one days, and we are very lucky that you know we're paid to go there as well, but. Even for commentators, it gets tiring, doesn't it? You know, when you're doing those one-day internationals and they're finishing late and you're doing the interviews after the game, and I'm not trying to sort of do a sob story for commentators, but, you know, you, you, get, you then travel to the next match and then you've got to do the, the, the pre-match interviews and the players are all training again, aren't they? And, it, you know, after four or five of those one-day internationals in, say, 12, 14 days, it gets tiring for, for even for commentators. So God knows what it must be like for the players. Yeah. I mean, you, you do get a sense of it, especially someone like India, seven-match one day series in India where you're, you are flying here, there and everywhere and sometimes getting up early and then you get the travel and it, it is intense and you're, you're right and the players are going through that but they're having, to, they're having to play as well we just sit on our backsides and talk about it and uh, and now of course you know we even we've taken a rest now haven't we we've, we've been resting our eyes and, and mouths this weekend taking a bit of a break from the game and you've been in the Cotswolds and I've been in the Lake District and it, it, I think it brings you back refreshed and enthused about talking or playing the game which leads us on nicely to our highlight low light this week because when <laughs> i was in the cotswolds this, I mean, this is your highlight of the week when i was in oh. the cotswolds i was uh, in this sort of swimming pool gymnastics complex and there was a bookshelf and there were some classics of english literature pride and prejudice jane eyre great expectations the complete works of sherlock holmes uh, Volume 2, there were actually two copies of Pride and Prejudice, and amongst them, in between, I think, Pride and Prejudice and Jane Eyre, there was Cricket's Greatest Rivalry by Simon Hughes. <laughs> that's, that's elite company. I was so proud when you sent me that, that picture of the books there. And the great thing is there were no other sort of crappy, cheap books next to it. It was just those Just those, those and books. your books. I was in the company of, of Jane Eyre and the complete works of... I thought you were going to say the complete works of Shakespeare, actually, but perhaps uh, that's a little bit too, too much of a dream. And next to Great Expectations... That is the highlight of my career. Excellent. Well, that's your highlight of the week. Um, My low light, well, Candy Championship on Saturday, James Pattinson dismissing Paul Collingwood. Brilliant catch by Ricky Vessels at at slip and Pattinson running down the pitch and then shaking his fist towards Collingwood as he went off to celebrate. You'd think so, wouldn't you? you it seems to be sledging and all, all that chat that goes on is about undermining the batsman before he's out to get him out. Once, once you've got him out, it's job done, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I, I mean, just total overkill. And, you know, poor Collingwood, what a stalwart of the game. He's 41, he's still playing. He's still as fit as Johnny Bairstow. I've seen them doing sprint training out in uh, Barbados and Collingwood's still keeping up with men 14 years younger than him. 
uh, to sledge him like that, especially when you got him out. I mean, you know, he can't hit the ball off the square now anyway, can he? So why why are you worrying about it? Well, there, there was a pork shop on Twitter who accused me of not understanding the, the duel. But once you've got the bloke out, the duel is over. You have won that contest. Uh, and I, I understand that there's adrenaline running through your body. But uh, there are also umpires watching. And, and, you know, we talked in an earlier uh, podcast, didn't we, about the, the new laws that come in regarding player discipline. Um, anyway. Save your energy for the next ball. Once you, as you say, once you've got the batsman out, why do you need to do any more? Just get ready for, get ready for the next wicket. Anyway, we're going to save our energy for next week's podcast. Hope you've enjoyed this one. And we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.